Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. This is a Vault Studios production. I'm Reed Redmond. I'm Spencer Brudig. I'm Will Johnson. This show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences. This week on True Crime Chronicles. I hope that in the coming months, as we cover this case, we can uncover something or we can cover the new development of, of Jason coming home. And our hope would be the one person who knows something steps forward and it unravels all of this and it brings Jason home. Kent Landry is looking for his son, his 21-year-old son who vanished just before Christmas last year. You know, for any parent, to think for a moment what your life would be like without one of your children, you just... The words can't describe what that feels like. Um, You know, all the years growing up, you try to protect them, you try to protect them, well, when they go out on their own, you can't. They still think they're invulnerable. Nothing bad will happen. But something did happen to Jason Landry. The last place anyone knows where Jason was or appears to have been was in a little Texas town called Lulling. Jason was on his way home for Christmas, driving from Texas State in San Marcos to the Houston area. Grace White is a reporter at KHOU in Houston. It was very late at night, and his car was found crashed near Lulling. And that's a place many people know for Bucky's, a popular truck stop in Texas where people will stop for a snack or a soda or the restroom. And not far from there, near Lulling, was where his car was found crashed. At 11.24 p.m. on December 13th, 2020, phone records show Jason entering that town of Lulling. Jason's dad, Kent Landry. We know he was sitting, there's an intersection in Lulling uh, as you come in from San Marcos, where it's at the corner where the First Baptist Church is, right at that corner. Um, as you at that light, you take a right, go like two blocks, and then you take a left, and it takes you down. I think it's 183 to to hit I-10. Um, and it, probably this was the first time for him because this was his first semester there that he actually was driving it at night. He's come home a number of times, but it was always kind of in the evening, in the afternoon, after class. So probably this is the first time at night. Uh, Law enforcement has said that there was probably, there was an issue with some of the lights in Luling, maybe including that one. But if you go through that light and just keep going about three miles out of uh, Luling is where this accident occurred. Now we don't know. We know he was at that intersection 1126. That's the last, thing we have from his phone. And 56, no, 67 minutes later, uh, the person drove by and saw the car. What happened in those 67 minutes? We don't know. What happened with Jason from 1126? We don't know. We got the call, I think it was about two in the morning. Um, and I was probably there in Luling at five in the morning. Um, and uh, found, 
I, I, they, I finally found out, I talked to the tow, someone from the tow truck company, you know, where the accident had occurred and we called the officer to find out. Um, and I was driving down the road and I'm driving on this dirt road going, where, I mean, where in the world am I? And um, I just see Jason's clothes lying on the road and then you can see where the car went off uh, the road. Um, Hundred, few hundred feet past that. Kent Landry says Jason was beginning to find some direction. It was his first semester at Texas State. He, he went to Texas State because he wanted to get, they have a sound recording technology degree that is one of the best in the country. And so he really wanted to do that. That was kind of, he saw something that he kind of, he really kind of said, this is what I want to do. And then he gets to Texas State and COVID locks everything down. You know, you're uh, you're alone at a school. He had two different times where he had to be uh, quarantined for COVID for a roommate, a family member. And I think all of that just made this semester really, really hard, um, really lonely. Um, and so he was really, you know, he came home for Thanksgiving and when he left, he just was really hoping to kind of look forward to, uh, actually in a couple of weeks, he would have been scheduled to do his tryout to get into the music department. You have to get into the music department before you can get into this program. He was really looking forward to that and really hoping um, to, that things would, you know, really start to begin to work out for him. He was 21 years old, the baby of this family. They told us he was going to Texas State University specifically for this sound recording technology degree. Uh, the university was kind of known for that. And, you know, they, they talked about that Thanksgiving and how he was hoping for, you know, um, a fresh start and looking forward to um, when the COVID lockdowns would be lifted and, and he could get back to living his, his normal life as a college student, um, like so many people do at that young age. But back to that night just before Christmas when he left Texas State and headed home. I think what's so relatable about Jason Landry's case is he was a college student headed home for the holidays. It's something so many of us can relate to. He had been home for Thanksgiving and had planned to come home again for Christmas. I can't tell you the number of emails I've gotten from parents from Texas State who live in the Houston area. And, you know, all of our children drive that same road and there's, you know, two turns you make to, to hit I-10 by the Buckies. Um, and just to think missing a turn could lead to something like this, is it's, it's beyond description. I mean, every night, I, that's what I think Every night when I'm up and not sleeping, I, I think the same. I try to make it make sense, and it doesn't. And that's the hard part about this. We know that Jason entered Luling at 11:24 that night. He'd only been on the road for about 30 minutes. Just before 11 o'clock, 10:55 p.m., he leaves his apartment in San Marcos, and then he drives toward Luling, that small town we mentioned. 11:24 p.m., he drives into Luling. He's using Waze, the popular traffic app for directions. Stops using Waze, opens Snapchat on his cell phone. Again, that comes from his cell phone data, 
And then basically the digital footprint stops. And at 1231, so just after midnight, 1231 a.m., a state trooper finds his car. But the story immediately starts to take a strange turn. Jason is nowhere to be seen. His car appears to have crashed, and he's left behind personal belongings. The key is still in the ignition, but the cause of the crash is a mystery. They think he may have swerved. They don't know right now if he hit a deer, if there was another car involved. There was no paint from another car on the body of his car, so they assume it may have just been a one-vehicle crash, but right now they just really don't know if he hit something or what happened. But they did release some photos, and on one of the pictures of the car that they've released to the public, hoping to get more tips and information about Jason's whereabouts, is the bumper. And on the back bumper, Will, it's it's like almost he hit a tree. There's some wood chips there kind of crushed into the bumper, and they think that he may have hit a tree when he crashed. Was there some road rage incident? Was there something that happened that um, led to Jason disappearing? Uh, they've done auto forensics, there, there doesn't seem to be like paint from another car. Now, could another car have been chasing him? Because this is a dirt road. Could a car have been chasing him and it caused him to spin out of control? I mean, I'm sure you've probably driven on dirt roads out in the country in the middle of the night. It could easily just been a deer and he swerved and you swerve on a gravel road and you can very easily spin out and that's probably what it was. But for now, no one knows why Jason's car left the road that night or where he went. So they find his cell phone in the car, his clothes and a backpack 900 feet from the car, kind of uh, thrown out on the roadway there, Um, his wallet, his laptop, and inside um, either the backpack or the car was a small amount of marijuana. And they did find a small smear of blood on his clothing, but they believe that could be from hitting a barbed wire fence nearby. Right now we've asked, you know, is there a sign of foul play, and they just say there's there's still an ongoing investigation, but there's nothing right now that they've released that points to evidence of foul play. But of course, it's all still under investigation. Those may have been the clothes he was wearing. I mean, we don't know for certainty, but I think they may have been. What would cause that? Um, you know, there, as I understand it, with some head injuries, it's possible that the, you know you're out of your mind and you think you're hot when you're cold, or, or one of the reactions of of being cold is uh, hypothermia is you actually start thinking you're hot. And maybe, I don't know, did he change clothes? It's just, that's the, I just have images of, you know, my child in, in the middle of, you know, out in the country in this road looking for help. You know, I've, unfortunately I've watched way too many crime TV shows. I've seen too much crime in my life. So I, that's the thing that keeps you up is you, you know, every CSI and criminal minds always has some captive being held by some bad person. And I think, well, why would you do that with Jason? He was no harm to anyone. He's just a college student. Um, but, you know, his phone's there, his wallet's there, his money, his all of his, you know, his PlayStation, all of his gaming stuff was in his backpack, so no one took all that. So what happened, we don't know if there's another person. We don't know, you know, I know they've searched so many times in so many ways with so many different means to try to find him if, if he did wander off. 
um, and they're still searching. The searches that have gone on in this case are really extensive. I mean, they've had hundreds of volunteers out there in this rural area. Again, Luling is a, um, a remote town. You know, it's, it's not the big city. And they've had just hundreds of people scouring the, uh, the roads. Uh, they've looked at water and using sonar equipment. They've done aerial searches. They, you know, they've put a lot of resources into this. And actually, there was a new search just a few weeks ago in late February. They had 100 volunteers out there doing a three-day search. And I, I spoke to Texas Search and Rescue to kind of get an update. They couldn't tell me exactly what they found, but they did say they're passing information onto the Caldwell County Sheriff's Office with the hopes that it would either find Jason, number one, or rule out where he is not. So there's been a lot of ground covered in this case and a lot of resources used, and they're really hoping that that something can give them an idea of what happened to this 21-year-old kid. Hundreds of people showed up to pray for a miracle on the church lawn tonight. I spoke with search crews in Central Texas. They're telling me this case is still very much a mystery. Hide in the darkness, my God. By the hundred, church members, friends, and family members of the missing college student came with petitions for a Christmas miracle. About where my boy is. The father of missing 21-year-old Jason Landry is also a pastor at Southminster Presbyterian Church in Missouri City. He told the congregation tonight he is living a nightmare. A bad dream that we keep hoping we wake up from. On Sunday, Texas EquiSearch crews say they're still not any closer to finding the college student. They say his cell phone was left inside of the car. Last week, scent dogs led searchers to a pond not far from where the car crashed. The pond was drained, but there was no sign of Jason Landry. It's just one of those cases where you don't know which direction to go. I mean, it's not really even fair to call it a crime scene because we don't know that a crime occurred. So I think in these types of cases, you have to be careful because we really don't know what happened to Jason Landry. We only know that his car crashed, that it was late at night, that it was coming home from college, and that his clothing, cell phone, and other items were found there on the scene. And as Jason's dad points out, the people in Luling, where Jason's car was found, or maybe even someone passing through town, could have seen something that might point them in the right direction. And there are new developments tonight in the search for missing Texas State student Jason Landry. This is believed to be the last photo taken of him about an hour before he disappeared 47 days ago. And that's why they're releasing so much information and pictures and everything to hope that someone knows something, whether they be a local Luling resident, someone driving through, one of the many oil field workers, just to answer the question, what happened? Because, you know, the people in Luling are, are lovely people, all the people who work in the oil field. I mean, I'm, I'm a child of the oil field. I mean, they're great people. As we listen to what happened that night of December 13th, 2020, and we ourselves wonder and ask questions and envision possible scenarios, it's tough to think what's going through the mind of Jason's family and his dad. I'll never forget interviewing his father. I just can't imagine as a parent myself what what it's like to go through these emotions of, of not knowing what happened to your child and having pieces of the puzzle, but you don't have the whole picture. And he said he keeps 
praying and hoping that his son will come home and tell him this really great story and that this will all be behind them. But it's been months now, and there's still so many unanswered questions. Today's day 47, and uh, we're just looking for answers and and hoping and praying that um, doing all of this will help Jason to come home safe. I would say as a parent, if I've learned anything in this, as I'll say to you as a parent, the one thing we've learned that would have really have helped is, because I found his phone. I, I mean, I have his locator, so I knew exactly where his car was, and I knew his phone was in his car. And I went and got it, it was 7 in the morning, I think, when the, the tow lot opened. And I had his phone, but I don't have his code, because... I don't know his access code because I want him to have his privacy. And I'd say for any parent, work out a deal with your child. Put your phone code and your access code to your computer. Give it to a a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle, someone you both can agree to that in this situation that they can access your phone. And I would just say, you know, something as simple as being, you know, not... You know, some and parents would disagree with me on how much, you know, to let your child and and to have some privacy when they're that age. You know, when they're in college, I think they should deserve some privacy. But you know, work out a, an arrangement. Give it to grandma. Give it to aunt and uncle. Give it to a brother or sister. That you know. But in this case, if I had known, if we had been able to to have his phone, we could, for example. What happened, you know, it was on Waze and then he switched to Snapchat. What happened after that? Maybe we could have that answer and could have had it 47 days ago. Hug your kids, you know. If this story doesn't make you hug your kids, um, you know, in all of this, we're being prayed for by thousands of people. We, we, it, and that's the thing that keeps us going. It, it truly does matter. No matter what happens, we know God is with Jason if it's the worst and, and, he, and he's passed. I'll get to hug him in heaven, you know. And knowing that makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. For now, Kent Landry holds on to hope and that vision that one day his son could walk through the door. That Jason comes home safe and sound but the story I can't wait to hear I, I think everybody would like to hear that's that's our prayer I mean you know we know God's with him um, wherever he is for true crime chronicles I'm will Johnson here with Reed Redmond and Spencer Brudig. Uh, Guys, you know, this case, like other cases we cover, but this one in particular is just so bizarre, a mystery about this young college student driving home, and there just don't seem to be any answers. There are some weird clues. There are the clothes in the roadway. There's, you know, the car, the passenger door locked. It's just a lot of stuff that you just can't quite wrap your mind around. Yeah, it all kind of goes back to what Jason's dad said about how he keeps trying to make sense of something that just doesn't make sense. And clearly there's a piece that we're missing here. And when we know what that piece is, if we ever get to know what that piece is, it it might make a a lot more sense. But without it, this whole case is just baffling. The detail that I kept focusing on was that he had his phone with him when this this crash happened. 
Um, but the phone is actually found in the vehicle, turned on with service. So one thing I thought was maybe he didn't have phone service, he wanted to call for help, and, and he walked off or something like that. But when the phone's found in the vehicle, there's battery in it, and and it has service. So that you know adds to the mystery of all of it, I guess. This really got me. I mean, the, the father's interview, right, is just so tragic. It's very, you can just feel the emotion. You can feel the pain. I mean, he's choking up the entire time. It's really hard to listen to. Um, the two things that I kind of focused on were, number one, that pond that the cadaver dogs uh, took investigators out to. It's mentioned in the story that they, uh, that pond is close to where he crashed uh, and they um, drained that pond. They found nothing. I'm still really interested into why those dogs were inaccurate. And I wonder if he did happen to stumble over that pond and at least, you know, I don't know. I don't know what would have happened there. Number two, I was really trying to find some sort of statistic that would give us more insight into how many people legitimately disappear each year in the United States. All I could find is 600,000 people do go missing, but the vast, vast majority are found either dead um, or recovered alive. And there's really no place that tracks the total disappeared. Uh, and I'm, I'm really interested to know, you know, how many people actually go missing, missing and are never recovered again. It's a, it's a weird thing to, to try and find out, but I couldn't find anything on it. One of the things that hit me as I was reading up on this case and looking into it is just looking at some of the photos that the sheriff's office has released. There are actually some selfies that Jason took, they think on the night that he went missing. And it looks like he might be in the car, maybe stopped at a gas station or something. And it, it just looks like, obviously, something like this was so far from his mind. He was just a college kid driving home to see his parents. He had a beta fish in the car. You know, all the things you'd expect a college kid to bring home, that that gaming system. And, you know, as we heard his dad say, you just never know when tragedy might strike. It's a really tough thought to stomach. And also, read just the fact that it really does... He was just going home, right? I mean, the fact that he had his PlayStation in his backpack, right? And it was in the car. I mean, that's something that... You know, my friends did in college was they pack up their system and they take it home for the, the the break, and so everything leads us to believe that there shouldn't have been any sort of foul play here. Um, it's just so bizarre how someone disappears like this. All right, Spencer, and there are thousands of like-minded true crime fans flocking to our Facebook page. Tell us more. Right, and that Facebook group is called Inside the Crime Vault. Uh, we have almost 6,000 members, so we hope to see you in there uh, discussing this case and other cases like it. All right, and Reed, we have a few new podcasts to talk about, one brand new, and of course, our, our daily crime show that Reed and I host, The Daily Crime. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts, and also one that has uh, just launched recently. Yeah, we just launched the second season of our Bardstown podcast, Beyond Bardstown, Lacombe. It's a very mysterious story in Louisiana that that kicks off with, with a house fire in the woods. All right, for True Crime Chronicles, I'm Will Johnson, along with Spencer Brudig and Reed Redman. We'll be back next week with a new case and a new story.